Hello and welcome to the Marvelous Duo. I'm Matt. And I'm Kate. For those of you that don't know, we are a married couple, we are a couple of nerds, and we are watching Marvel movies and discussing them. So we're starting with the MCU in the order that they were released, which means that we are starting with Iron Man from 2008, released by Paramount Pictures, which I did not remember until we watched it this time. It's kind of weird. These these early movies were released by Paramount and Universal before Marvel actually had the footing to be its own studio and just stand alone. So this was a decent movie, like on its own, without knowing anything about uh, Marvel superheroes that aren't at all. Like it was, it was a good superhero movie. Yeah, it's it's been weird going through these movies. Because I, I feel like a lot of people regard these early MCU movies as not that good just because it's been a while since they've watched them. And going back and watching them, this one is a good movie. It's well-written. The characters are well-written for the most part. Do we want to do a quick, not a summary, but like kind of go through the movie and talk about the notes that we took throughout the movie? Yeah. That's how we'll at least start. Okay. This movie, of course, is centered around Tony Stark, who is Iron Man. But Not we, yet. We don't know that yet. But we start yeah. out with Tony Stark. Basically, he's a, he go, he's in Afghanistan. He's with some soldiers, some U.S. military people, and they're testing out weapons, right? He is doing a weapons demonstration of a new rocket that he's created. The Jericho Missile. Yes. Where his company's created. Yeah, Stark Industries. Stark Industries. Yes. Top dealers of uh, weapons to the military. Which, while he's in Afghanistan, unfortunately he finds out they're not just selling to the United States. That some some other people have gotten a hold of some Stark technology that ends up with some shrapnel in good old Tony Stark's chest. It's kind of funny. Early on, we get a twist that can be completely ruined... If you happen to know Urdu, yeah, because after he gets kidnapped, they send or it shows a video that is sent by the kidnappers who are talking to the villain that we don't know is the villain yet. But if you speak Urdu, which is being spoken in the video, it is revealed. It's kind of funny. How is it revealed? Uh, they refer to Obadiah Stane as great, like by name. Great, yeah, <laughs> great. One of the things that stood out to me the most during the first scene is, like, you can't help but love Tony Stark. He's got that, like, he's very charismatic, but he, there is no doubt. This guy is the biggest freaking jerk man, baby. Just this misogynistic jerk, but he's funny and he's charismatic. Yeah, and it's crazy to see Robert Downey Jr. in that, like, knowing what he had just been through in life the fact that he was able to step into this role and play it so well is really crazy and kind of goes to show that Downey in general is probably very charismatic and you see in interviews and things right and that's also part of the reason why was it John Favreau that directed this movie yes John Favreau picked Robert Downey Jr. correct like was it him that picked him um I don't know if it was him specifically or just a uh, casting director. They picked him because of 
the hard time that he had gone through with drugs and he was in the public eye because he was an actor from such a young age that he was used to being in the public eye and so they felt like he could represent Tony Stark in that same way. Yeah, that they kind of knew that he could play the darkest parts of Tony Stark and he does so well. You see in these first few minutes of the movie, um, or not the first few, like the first good portion of the movie, Tony Stark going from this broken man, literally has shrapnel working its way towards his heart. He was kidnapped in the middle of the Middle East, and yet he goes from that to freeing himself. Speaking of that shrapnel situation, you said the shrapnel was moving towards his heart. Which yes. they do say in the movie. Like, they yes. make that... That's the reason why Tony has to make the arc reactor to make sure there is an electromagnetic field kind of yes. he's, blocking he's that He's using magnets to save his life, and he's using the arc reactor to, like, power the magnets. It's very fringe science-y. So, yeah. So that prompted the question, does shrapnel move once it's inside of you? And I did my research. If it's in a body cavity, it moves because it does, it's not in anything, so it could cause damage Like if it gets into a body cavity and it's just kind of floating around in there. The way that it was described in the Marvel Cinematic Universe was that it went into his muscle tissue and then like the shrapnel knew how to make its way towards major organs like the heart, and that's not real science. Like, yeah, it's, it's comic book fringe science because it was... A start missile that the shrapnel is from. Right. Like, this is probably some tech that Tony developed, or his company developed. There's there's a lot of stuff in here that is fringe science. But that's why he had to build the arc reactor. Because when the guy saved him, what was that guy's name? Jensen. Yeah, when Jensen saves his life, Jensen just hooks him up to a car battery and is like, alright... Yep. I saved you, and then that's why Tony is like, now I can make the arc reactor, which he already knew the configures for because Howard Stark had built a crazy big arc reactor, you know, a long time ago. The arc reactor powers the Stark Industries building. Okay, so, yeah, so Howard Stark already had the plans for the base of, you know, the arc reactor, and they didn't know how to use it. Like, they didn't know how to utilize it. For anything other than a power source for Stark Industries. Yeah, it's it's a clean energy source. It's not that they didn't know how to use it. It's that Stark Industries focused on weapons instead of the energy race, which is what that was connected to. They, they kind of switched from the pet project of Howard Stark, which was energy. Right, but Tony weaponized it, and I think that was the biggest problem when they found out that Tony had created a suit and had weaponized it himself to save his life, of course. Obadiah Stang was so upset, and he was like, Tony Stark built it with scraps in a cave. Yep. <laughs> Tony Stark built it in a cave with a box of scraps is probably the thing that people remember about this movie the most. And also the guy that is like, well, I'm not Tony Stark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So who, who crops up later? Yeah, he does show up later. That guy is important. If you're watching the movies along with listening to this podcast, which that would be funny. It would. Remember that face. You'll probably forget it by the time he comes back, but remember that face. Right. So Obadiah Stane is running Stark Industries. I don't think we mentioned that. He's running it while Tony is away. Like while he has been kidnapped. 
That's why Obadiah is able to sell under the table to enemies of the U.S. without Tony recognizing it, without Tony noticing it. And then we are introduced to some other characters that are very common in the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But mainly Rhodey, his friend Rhodey, who is in the Air Force, who's played by Terrence Howard. I I love Rhodey's character because he does call Tony out on all of his crap. Yes. And holds him accountable. Rhodey is the grounding wire for for Tony in a lot of ways. And Terrence Howard does not play Rhodey in any of the other times that he shows up in the rest of the cinematic universe. No, he does not. And, and they make reference to it. They do. In Iron Man 2, they make reference to it, which we'll bring up in the Iron Man 2 episode, I'm sure. And then Pepper Potts. Pepper Potts, yes. Um, from the first moment, we literally meet her. She is the coolest, most chill person. And she, she sticks up for herself. Because it's the scene where Tony's met that blonde reporter. Uh, what was her name? Kristen Everhart. Kristen Everhart. Um, so she works for a magazine. Um, and her and Tony end up sleeping together. And then the next morning when the girl wakes up, Tony is not there. And Pepper Potts is there. And Pepper says, oh, I'm just taking out the trash. It was in that moment that I was like, ooh, burn. She does everything for him. And yeah. from the first moment that you see them in a scene together, you ship it. The relationship between the two of them is so well written and so well acted. That from the moment that you see the two of them together, it is a combination of you see the years that they have worked together, and you see that there is something there that neither of them, I think, is aware of yet. And then, of course, Happy. Happy. I love Happy. Well, I feel like he evolves as a character. He's very, like, he's just Tony's... Bodyguard? Bodyguard slash driver. Yeah. Friend. The more often that he appears in the later movies, you're like, oh, Happy! But, like, in the first movie, I didn't even realize Happy was a character. Which is funny because John, Happy is played by John Favreau. Yeah. Who I, directed this movie. I think that in the first movie, it's very much like John Favreau put more into directing than he did into playing the character. But later on, he definitely becomes a lot more important. We also meet Jarvis, who I will say is a character... In his own right. He's not just a computer system. And what does Jarvis stand for? So, Jarvis stands for something crazy that was made up after the point because originally Jarvis was an actual, like in the comics, Jarvis was the name of the butler for the Avengers. I believe for Tony Stark originally. There are some cartoons that he is the Avengers butler and... Iron Man isn't even a part of the Avengers during it. But, for this iteration, he is a computer system. And Jarvis stands for just a rather very intelligent system. But we also find out in later movies, though, that Howard Stark did have a doorman the way that Happy is to Tony, named Jarvis. Yes. So, back to kind of the what's going on is, you know, in their war... With the Middle East that they've got going on. The Ten Rings is brought up. Yes. The Ten Rings is a fantastic inclusion, I think. Because they are straight out of the comics. They, in the comics, are led by the Mandarin. This iteration of them is not. But the fact that they threw them in there was, I think, the first of a lot of things that Marvel did in these early movies. Where they included things from the comics. 
to get the comic book readers to watch the movies and the ones that did like they put them in there and were like oh hey I recognize that and they didn't always follow through with them but they put them in there to kind of keep the people Oh, something that happened in the scene where Tony has been kidnapped and after he's made the arc reactor and he's working on the suit. Something that he says about the arc reactor is that it produces three gigajoules per second. Yeah. That can power, what is the quote? Jensen mentions that it could power his heart for like seven lifetimes and then Tony says, or something really big for about seven seconds, which is just... It doesn't seem important in this movie, but it most definitely is in later movies. It wasn't important in this movie. That's the thing. Yeah. that's It's a reference to the Mach 1 Iron Man suit. That is all it is. And then it becomes so much more. Right. So another thing is that the whole Jensen scene. Like the whole... Like Jensen is a character wonderfully written. Unfortunately, you know, his family is completely dead. You don't find out that until the very end. When, when, well, not the very end, but the end well, of that scene. Well, the end of that scene, yeah. Where he sacrifices himself in order to be with them again. Which, he's just... It's interesting because Jensen is so smart. He is right there with Tony, helping him build this suit, helping him build the arc reactor. He kept Tony alive with a box of scraps in a cave. Like, he is also extremely smart but we kind of see that like Jensen is so well written that you see that he's not just smart he's emotional he is real I think that's one of the things that makes these movies feel so real is that the characters are so real right and Jensen is one of the perfect examples of that in this movie especially and this was the Mach 1 that they created in the cave correct yes Okay, it is so the first one, first suit, Mach One. The Mach One gives me major Fallout Four vibes, and I've said this before, but the suit just looks like the big um, power suits that you walk around in in Fallout Four. Um, another thing is that Robert Downey Jr. was forty-three when they filmed this movie. Man, which is a lot older than a lot of the other actors. Actors that they got to play other superheroes. So, like, he's old. Like, not in a bad way. I'm not, like, being mean. And so, when Robert Downey Jr. started this journey, not knowing that it was going to be a thing, not even knowing if he was going to get a second movie, he was 43 already. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Because I know that you have some, some stuff talking about Marvel. So, Marvel, as a company, not as a studio went through a time that they were struggling for a while. Comic books just weren't as popular. And so their sales there were going down. They had, like, cartoons and stuff, but that was about all they had. The rights to a lot of their characters, they started selling them to other movie studios. Like, uh, Fox got the X-Men and the Fantastic Four and Sony got Spider-Man. And so we got the the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies. We got the X-Men franchise. We got the Fantastic Four movies. These all came out of Marvel selling the rights to their characters for movies to try and stay afloat. And eventually they got to a point that they decided to try and do movies on their own. 
and they basically looked at their roster of characters that they had left and went, let's do the Avengers. And up until that point, the Avengers were a team that had changed characters all the time. I think the, the only real consistencies when it came to the Avengers were Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man. Other than that, the team changes in every iteration. Even the teams that do not include those three, like those three founded them. But there are still versions of the team that don't include them at all. They went, okay, we can do the Avengers, but the Avengers weren't as well known at that point. I had no idea. Yeah. Like, people knew about Spider-Man, and people knew about, like, the Fantastic Four, and they knew about the X-Men. Because of all these movies, the popularity of them bumped up. But even the comic book society, like, yeah, the Avengers exist, but not as many people cared about them. And so they were like, well, these are the only ones we have left. Let's try it. And they started with Iron Man, and they were like, let's hope that this goes well. And even while they were filming Iron Man, they were also filming The Incredible Hulk, because that came out the same year. So they went into it with a lot of hope that it would carry them forward into the Hulk being popular and then being able to build upon that. And you see them wanting to build upon it, in the end of credit scenes, but they didn't have any kind of certainty. It was a last-ditch effort. Yes, it was absolutely a last-ditch effort, and it's the absolute best last-ditch effort they could have put forth. Because it is so successful now, but they had no idea of knowing that when they did this. Yeah. Another thing is, I remember going to the theater and watching Iron Man when it came out, and I had no idea who Iron Man was as a superhero. I remember going with my mom and watching it and being like, wow, that was such a good movie. He's such a good, you know, superhero. I love this. And then when they built upon that and they started interconnecting into the Avengers, it blew my mind. As someone who didn't know anything about any of the Avengers characters other than the Hulk, because my mom used to watch the old Hulk movies when I was a kid, so like I knew who the Hulk was. And I was traumatized by one of the Hulk movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ang Lee's Hulk. Actually, you mentioned um, that you didn't remember any scene other than him fighting the, like, gamma-radiated dogs. Yes. That is in Ang Lee's Hulk. That mo- scene. I don't remember anything else about that movie except for that scene, and I was traumatized as a child. So, like, other than knowing that the Hulk was scary... I had no idea who any of these people were, so it literally, it was so, so cool to see all of it come together and, like, to see all these different superheroes that I had no idea who they were. Yeah, but it all, it all started with Iron Man, and it's cool to see where, where he started and where he, where he ends up, but, yeah, after, after he is rescued from, you know, escaping from the cave, he is rescued by the Air Force, and it's cool that, like, Rhodey is a really good friend. Like, he is he is the one still searching. He is the first one there. He is always present in Tony's life, even in the hard times, and he's there for him, and it's really cool. I also love that the first thing he asks for as soon as he gets back to America is he wants a cheeseburger, yep. which is just, like, the most American thing. Absolutely the most American thing. Like, Marvel's really good at doing full circle stuff, and going back again and rewatching these shows, like, where the circle started. 
Right. And it's it's really cool to go back and see that. We also get introduced to Agent Coulson, which yes. is, is the first time that we see him, who is a part of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, going back and watching this, I had forgotten that Coulson was even in this movie. So, like, we see that Coulson is important. Because Coulson is directly connected, you know, to S.H.I.E.L.D., a.k.a. Nick Fury. And Nick yep. Fury does show up in a lot of the after credit scenes and also a lot of the movies. Nick Fury's not in this movie, though. He's in the after credit scene. Right. So, yeah, we see Agent Coulson, introduction to S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Coulson tries to de- debrief Tony, and Tony blows him off multiple times. Which I feel like just starts a, a long sequence of Coulson trying to debrief people, and it not working out. So once Tony gets back, uh, he tries to shut down the weapons manufacturing that Stark Industries is doing, and of course Obadiah Stane, who has been d- underhand dealing with you know radical people in Afghanistan, specifically the Ten Rings, specifically them. And he even makes a mention of the Ironmonger. Yes. This is an interesting thing about these early Marvel movies. They, I think because they were trying to reach a wider audience, they were afraid to use, to to go too heavily into the comic book naming conventions, specifically of their villains. But they name drop them a lot. In this one, Obadiah Stane, in the comics, is Ironmonger. They do not refer to him as that. They just have one scene where he's talking to Tony, and he's like, I'm not some kind of Ironmonger. And everybody that knew the comics went, oh my god, yes. And everyone else went, nothing. They didn't notice the scene. Which is why it actually kind of works. Like, Marvel did what they wanted to. They were very smart in their writing. And then, of course, we get introduced uh, to Butterfingers, the arm crane, who is my favorite arm crane. <laughs> he is so funny. Like, he's just the comedic relief while Tony's working on his next suit. Like, so cool. And, of course, the scene where uh, Pepper has to replace Tony's arc reactor, where she has to reach down inside of him. <laughs> that, I think, personally, may be the most important scene in the entire movie. Because of two lines by Tony Stark during that scene, which are, you are the most capable, qualified, trustworthy person I know, and I don't have anyone but you. And both of those, the way that they are delivered is just so quick and so natural that you don't really notice them. But then when you go back and watch, you realize that like there's so much heart Behind those. There's so much heart from Tony when he talks to Pepper. And also the fact that Pepper keeps the old arc reactor and, like, makes a little box for it and puts it in his office for him. They have inside jokes. And so, like, the proof that Tony Stark has a heart thing, you just ship them all the more. You're like, now kiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. It's great writing. It's great acting. I find it funny that, you know, in the introduction, you mentioned that I'm a movie snob. I went through this entire movie, and I'm just like, it's so good. And it's it's funny, because usually, like, I am very much, even with later Marvel movies, I'm like, eh, but this thing about it, this one is so good. I don't even find cinematic things, like, it's not just that it's a good superhero movie, it's that it's a good movie. Great levels of, I, I wouldn't say drama, but at least, you know, seriousness and comedy. Speaking of comedy, 
the first test of the pulsar rays, whatever they're called, where he tries to fly, and uh, it hits the wall instead, that's funny. And also, that whole scene where he's learning how to fly, that's one of the first time that we learn about the ice forming and like his shutdown that happens if he goes too high, mm-hmm. which plays a major role later. And it's just so it's so well written. It, well, that's the, it. It plays two major roles because first it gets us from the simple silver that he was working with to the red and gold paint job that we are all familiar with from the comics. Oh yeah, because Jarvis puts the stuff in the paint. Yeah, but it also is how he ends up defeating Iron Monger, which. It's so cool that they love to do, they, like, they do this, not even foreshadowing, just they plant a seed. And the fact that they're able to plant seeds that grow into two different trees, like, that's great. So when Tony is doing his test flight of his new suit, yep, uh, the Air Force gets involved, because <laughs> they don't know what he is, and they're like, there's a bogey in the air. And my question was... Uh, they do, they call Rhodey, who is a... I don't know what he is in the Air Force, but he's something. Colonel, I believe. Colonel. My, my question is, why did they call Rhodey? Like, I'm sure that there were several other people that they could have called. And my only response is to drive the plot line. It had hmm. to have been someone that Tony knew for that scene to have worked out. Yeah, it's, it's plot devices. That That is one thing that is straight up... Just movie writing. That's how it works. Yeah. We also, in in that scene, we also get the first superhero landing, which is so great. And when he calls Rhodey, the ringtone that Rhodey has for him is the theme song of the Iron Man cartoon from the 1980s or 1990s, something like that, which is just... Fun little snippets that Marvel likes to throw in there. Yeah. Also, can we please talk about the fact Pepper and the dummy arm saved Tony's life. Yes. Because Pepper saves his life by framing his old arc reactor. Yes. When Obadiah busts up into his house and rips his other one out. Yeah, when we find out that he's the bad guy. The dummy arm. Is the real hero of the movie. The real hero. Because Tony... Doesn't make it to the arc reactor. And then Dummy's just like, here you go. Here you go. Yeah. I know you call me Butterfingers, but here you go. I held this real nice. In, in the moment when it mattered, the yep. Dummy arm was there. Mm-hmm. Also, we learn out a fact that I don't think comes into play later. I don't think. But it's still cool that Howard Stark helped make the atomic bomb. It is mentioned in this movie. I think I missed that mention. It's not surprising. And also that Coulson uh, tries to arrest Obadiah. <laughs> Obadiah. Yes. Like, first off, why is Pepper with the agents? I think it's so she can unlock the door or something. But why does she go inside with them? That makes no sense. They've got technology that gets them through the keypads and stuff. She should not be there. It is dangerous. All it does is put a damsel in distress for Tony to have to come save. That's true. Granted... She does also help him defeat Stain by, like, ramping up the arc reactor. So it's important that someone is there. It just didn't have to be Pepper. Yeah. And also, in that big fight scene, Ironmonger, his suit that he does make, is still so primitive compared to Tony's suit. 
I think it looks like the Iron Giant. Yeah. That's what it reminds me of. Yeah. Just a very squat Iron Giant. There is something else cool that happens in this scene. Uh, with Rhodey, he makes a comment. It's to the suit. After Tony leaves, Rhodey looks over at the Mach 2, the one that's still silver. Mm-hmm. And goes next time. Which is, uh, it's great. Which is a hint to War Machine, which yes. we are introduced to in the second movie. Spoilers. Second, second Iron Man movie. Well, if you haven't watched it by now, <laughs> like, this was made in 2008. I know. I'm kidding. One thing I think that's funny about the fight scene is that at one point, Tony jumps on Stane's back, and it reminds me of Marion Pippin jumping on the cave troll in The <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring. Of course. Yep. Still talking about the fight scene. Okay. There is one thing that is very important. Um, it is another thing. It is another full circle thing from Marvel that has actually a lot of points in the MCU because a lot of people in the movies mention that Tony Stark is not the one to make the sacrifice play. It's brought up several times throughout all of the movies. And he does, though. He does make the sacrifice play. In this movie, we actually see that for the first time as well. Because everyone is wrong. Tony Stark does make the sacrifice play. He's been doing it since he became Iron Man. Because when they defeat Stain, he is going to sacrifice himself. To lure Stain to where the arc reactor is so that they can kill him. But, like, Tony Stark has been making the sacrifice play from the beginning. And people just... And they just don't notice it. And so it's really cool to actually see that this early on. And then, of course, we can't we can't end this without talking about the I Am Iron Man scene. So, first off, the press conference at the end. Yes. Where... The strategic homelands, uh, blah, 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 has shortened themselves to S.H.I.E.L.D., which is so important for later things. And we also get to see more scenes of Pepper just humanizing Tony. Because he's still cocky. Like, he grows as a character, but he's still cocky. And in this press conference, like, he he walked out on that stage fully ready to say whatever he needed to say... Whatever Colson had prepared for him, but he didn't because he stopped. And he was like, I am Iron Man, which was a wonderful way to end it. Great ending for the movie. In my opinion, this is one of my favorite Marvel movies. Part of that has to do with the fact that Iron Man is my favorite superhero, but it's a very good movie. It is an extremely good movie. One thing that I almost forgot about, Stan Lee cameo. Oh, yeah, we skipped the Stan Lee cameo. Every Marvel movie has a Stan Lee cameo. And in this one, Stan Lee was pretending to be Hugh Hefner. And I loved it. And you want to know what's really funny? What? The first time I ever watched this, I didn't realize it was Stan Lee. Because A, (laughs) point one, I didn't know who Stan Lee was. Right. Point two, I didn't know who Hugh Hefner was. Right. So I just thought it was Hugh Hefner. I was like, okay, that's cool. Hugh Hefner was in a movie. And then later, now that I know, I'm like, oh my god, that's so funny. So the first after credit scene uh, in a Marvel movie does a lot of things, actually. It's a really cool scene. So it, it started a massive trend. It introduces an extremely important character 
And it hinted at hopes that Marvel had for the MCU. So, like, this is a very important after credit scene, and really good one, too, because Samuel L. Jackson is awesome. That he is. We get to... We get to be introduced to Nick Fury. Who is the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, we get mention of the Avenger Initiative, which sets up for where Marvel was hoping to go with these movies. So it starts the trend that has so indoctrinated itself into not just the MCU, but also just the cinematic uh, moviegoer's mind in that... I know so many people that no matter what movie they go to, they sit through the credits just to see if there is an after credit scene. Because so many movies have started doing that. Well, yeah. Every time we go see a, a specifically a superhero movie, yep. we sit in the theater. And if people get up and start leaving, I'm always like, where are you going? There is still... Now they have mid-credit scenes as well as end-credit scenes. Yep. So like now when people get up at the very end, I'm like, where are you going? There's still... Like, two more things to see. So what would you rate this movie? Out of ten, like, at... Let's do two different ones, so... As a superhero movie and as a movie in general. Okay, okay. So let's do as a movie in general first. Out of ten, what would you give this? As a movie in general, out of ten, it's... It's so good. It's more real than a lot of superhero movies that you see. Because it's not superpowers, it's tech, it's fringe science, but it it focuses a lot more on um, like on the on the person inside the suit, which is really cool. The story is well written, except for some tropey things. I'm gonna go in general as a movie around seven, seven and a half. I think seven and a half. I was gonna give it an eight, so we're pretty close. Yeah. And then as a as a superhero movie, my 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 vote is more like a seven for that one. As a superhero movie, I've seen a lot of superhero movies. I think I'd go with eight on this one. Okay. Because origin stories usually everybody knows them. They're boring. Whatever. We get origin stories for Spider Man and Batman. It seems like a new one every three years. Right. But Iron Man's origin story is unique. It's different. But yeah, I'd go with 8 on this one for superhero movie. Any other things you want to say about this movie? I don't think so. I think I, I touched on all of the notes that I wanted to. Yeah, I think we covered everything. Maybe not in order, but got through it all. That's true. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of The Marvelous Duo. You can follow us on social media, at The Marvelous Duo. We have an Instagram and a Twitter. Also, thank you so much uh, to the person who let us use this audio for our intro and outro. Uh, Their stuff will be linked down in the description below. And we will catch you on the next episode with The Incredible Hulk. So you guys have a marvelous day. We'll see you next time. Bye!